Yes! Over the line! What we've got here is failure to communicate. I want winners. I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. And here are your hosts, RJ Young and Brandon Drum. What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I'm here with Brandon Drum. Today, we are going to talk about that poop show of an Orange Bowl. If you're an OU fan, if you're an Alabama fan, could have gone, couldn't, couldn't have gone better, honestly. Uh, we're also going to get into the defense coordinator candidates, and I'm going to throw some names. Brandon's going to throw some names. We might come to some sort of agreement. We'll see. We're also going to get into the return of Hollywood, yes or no, and the transfer market. And I got this thing about Manny Diaz. And Dana Holgerson, that I really got to get off my chest. But Brandon, how are you? Man, I'm tired. We just got back late yesterday um, from Miami. So it has been a whirlwind. We got absolutely zero sleep, maybe a little bit on the flight. Um, But after the game, it was tough having to get done with the game and do all the media stuff and get all the write-ups up by about 2, 3 a.m. on the board, man. It was it was tough go. And then by that time, it was might as well go catch our flight back to Oklahoma City. So it, it was a tough go, but it was it was a fun trip. Fun trip. Uh, it just sucks that we're not going to San Francisco. Did you connect through Dallas or connect through Atlanta? We ended up actually driving down to Dallas and just flying out. So, yeah, we just flew to uh Miami or Fort Lauderdale from uh Dallas cuz it was much much cheaper. Dude, I made the flight from Portland to Miami in a day and that was that was hellacious. Like oh. went I went TUL to Dallas to Portland. Portland to Dallas to Miami. Garbage. Hated that. I I I it's not flying like the act of flying. It is all of the anxiety involved in flying. You know, from boarding pass to getting your seat to jockeying for position to being cattle on a car to smelly people to flights being delayed, I do not envy you. No, it was, it was fun. Plus, you know, doing it with my my uh, bringing my wife down with me was even more entertaining because having to juggle being husband and uh, a worker employee of OUinsider.com was uh, quite the uh, act that I had to put on, and it tired me out even more so it, it was entertaining the media party i can tell you was uh quite fun yeah the mothership the mothership's oh my the mothership's i've heard a good time rivals the yeah. cotton bowl and then we uh went out to some bars and clubs afterwards and saw some very entertaining did you go go did you go 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 dancing i don't i don't know <laughs> what so much called go go <laughs> But I got my freak on, man. Uh, <laughs> I got, I got, I got a little crunk there that night. It was, it was, it was fun. Uh, went out and uh, actually calling. We took a couple of college of the kids. They, they reminded me why I'm 35 years old. I can tell you that. So that was entertaining. Um, I can't hold up with those guys like I used to. But my wife's a little bit better than me at that. I, I'm just not there yet, and I, I don't think I'll ever be again. My, my liver can't handle it. I can say that. Well, as the resident young dude on this podcast, I'm inclined to mention that you're a year older, or excuse me, you're a year younger than Lincoln Riley, but you're both younger than LeBron James, who turned 34 today, which is just 
bonkers. Like every time I think that, yeah, you know, I'm doing pretty good for 31. I remember that my man's literally has done the best job in the NBA since 2003, and he's not 35 yet. It just seems unfair. Yeah, he's 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 the ageless wonder. It seems like, and it's some people are just gifted. Adrian Peterson's another guy that just seems like he just continues to. I feel like Adrian Peterson's been 45 for like 15 years. Oh my gosh, he's my age. And it's just like, dude, come on. How are you still running for a thousand yards at 34 years old? Come on, bro. That's just not right. Uh, well, I mean, you know, so so that that aside, Lincoln Riley, 36 years old, has made two consecutive college football playoffs. Hadn't won one though, and has the distinction of Oklahoma being the first college football playoff team to lose twice in the college football playoff in the same year, which, you know, you can always say that it's better to make them than not make them. But we expected a better game, and I guess after going down 28-0, to you kind of got one. But the fact of the matter is, you went down 28 to nothing. Mm -hmm. And there's no lipstick on that pig. There is nothing that you can do to salve that. Alabama was the better team top to bottom. You got a Kyler Murray game, if not in the completion percentage, but... Outside of him and C.D. Lamb, who could you really be excited about? Rambo. 49-yard touchdown, yeah. Yeah, well, he caught a big fourth and five as well. Um, that's right, that's right. And then it, Yeah, then he caught another one across the middle as well. He he played really, really well. He, You know what? I think if Oklahoma goes with him instead of Hollywood, and this sounds really crazy, right, to even say if they go with him instead of Hollywood, they're probably in a lot better position than they are you know, earlier on in the game. And, and they're not down 28 nothing because I think drives continue to happen. They were looking for Hollywood, and he couldn't get open. He couldn't – He couldn't. oh, oh, stop that. I saw him get open. I saw him drop passes too. Yeah, yeah. You, no, I'm talking I'm talking about that deep – the the deep ball, the, the go. Rambo would have ran underneath that. Ah. He still had his legs underneath him. Hollywood was gimping so bad on that play. That, that was a play where that you could actually tell – Man, that dude's not even like 70%. Then don't start him. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. If they don't play him, they're they're in a better position with Rambo than they are what they had with Hollywood if they played him the whole game. The 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 Oklahoma offense started moving much better and fluid the second they took Hollywood out. Does nobody did nobody else notice that? Like Of course they we all did. Scoring. When they pulled him out and put Rambo in, by that, it was like, whoa, there you go. By that time, it was too late, man. It L was too late. That's why you, you, they shouldn't have played him. Okay, so I told you all, like, weeks ago that he was going to play. And I, I told I, verbatim what the source told me. And I, I think you know who I'm talking about. The, verbatim, the source told me, look, you would have to have his leg cut off for him not to play, his foot cut off for him not to play in front of his family. And that, that was obviously the case. He was going to go out there regardless of the fact now here's the stuff that i wonder is i don't know if they do what they did back then with like you know the, I, i'm sure they don't because everything's documented but back in our day they would just give you a pain pill and let you go out there and play because you couldn't feel anything you know i don't know that they do that anymore and I, i'm pretty positive they don't because you could actively tell he was gimpy i don't think there's cortisone shots like there used to be or Toradol shots and all that stuff. I don't think they do that anymore, because if they did, I think my man would have been running a lot better than he was because it was a muscle issue, and muscle issues can be drowned down with medication. 
Bones can't, you know. So um, it's it's one of those deals where they should have went with Rambo. And and the funny thing is that, that same source told me they need a big game out of Rambo and Hollywood both. They got one of the guys to have a big game. The other one just was so mentally screwed up with that injury that he couldn't even focus on catching an out route. And that was, I mean, think about it. Like I saw Hollywood and talked to him like off camera in a locker room after the game. And basically and, and I, he, he, he just was awfully like uncontrollably sobbing in his locker. Like as we're exiting, like I stopped by and I was like, dude, look, you gave it your best. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You did what you thought you needed to do for the team. And he looked up at me and said, I did, but I may not have. I shouldn't have. And I was like, "Don't you shouldn't say that. Like, you shouldn't say that. You did. The, the, this team isn't in the situation they're in if it's not because of you. So keep your head high. I know you wanted to play well in front of your family and your friends, but it didn't work out that way, dude. You've got a long career ahead of you. And he just said, yeah, man, I appreciate you whatever and we just kind of did the bro hug and left out but like i don't know hollywood that well but i just felt like that was something that needed to be said for somebody that was so emotional in their locker room and he he gave great interviews before that but you could tell like the weight just hit him after everybody was leaving and so i just felt like i needed to say something to him so that was that was rough that was really rough on him look man i get it Everybody was upset following the game. Nobody wanted to see a loss. Everybody felt for the kids, myself included. And I don't blame Hollywood, and I certainly don't blame Charleston Rambo for having to wait that long to get into the game. But from where I'm sitting, it ain't just Hollywood, and it ain't just Rambo. Michael Jones could have done the job. Jalen Robinson could have done that job. We, uh, We had You have wide receivers that you can play in that Z receiver position if you want to. That is a head coach's discretion decision from where I'm sitting. And if the dude doesn't have it to go, you should know that right away. You should know that as soon as you see something that is off in this game, you have to pull him. You have to get him out of there. You have to save him from himself. And you have to give the team the best opportunity to win. This is where I come down on the whole, hey, Trevor Lawrence for Kelly Bryant, really? Yeah, Dabo said it best. My job is to do what is best for my football team. I cannot think about one player. I have to think about my football team. And in this instance, it feels like they were thinking about, hey, maybe Hollywood at 60% is better than anybody else we have at 100 You're going to tell me that Hollywood better at 60 70% is better than Rambo, better than Robinson, better than Michael Jones? I don't buy it. No, I don't either. And I... It was evident that that wasn't the case. But if you saw him in pregame, to a man, every media person, we're all looking at each other, dude, this dude has got it. He's going to do do well. And I think he was just fine, and I think he re-injured it at some point during the game. And he continued to, instead of saying something to somebody, he I think he tried to just push through. And you're talking about a guy that hadn't done a whole lot until he got down to Miami. You know, we discussed it. He's jogged. He's ran a little bit, but he never ran full speed. Like, we talked about it on the board. He he got on the bike. He, he'd been working and doing little bits of things, but he never went full speed. Everything he did was half speed, three-quarter speed. He got out there and finally went full speed continuously. 
and I think he re-injured it at some point. I don't think we'll ever be told that one way or the other, but because he was, you watched that pregame warm-up, he is flying around. He's flying around without anybody threatening to hit him, without anybody exactly. coming down yeah. on him, no, without anybody challenging him when he gets off the ball, without yep. anybody poking him on the sideline. Yep. He's flying around without the fear of getting hurt. So yep. the, I mean, just it's just a different tenor on that. But yep. also, look, Kennedy Brooks was doing what he was supposed to do. That dude had a hot yeah, hand there, and certain. you went away from him. Yep. I get Don't starting with Trey. I get starting with Trey Sermon. I get that. That makes sense to me. But as soon as Kennedy Brooks busts one, you got to feed that man, right? And I'm the last person that wants to call Lincoln Riley's offense because I still believe that's the best play caller in all of college football, if not yeah. football proper. But goodness me, man, uh, you know, number one, that you only got two backs that you trust, right? Because T.J. Pledger played, but you obviously don't trust him to put it back there at running back in this situation. You knew that C.D. Lamb was there to play. There was a big fourth down conversion. I think it was fourth and two where Kyler and C.D. had this great play where, I mean, Back yeah, nobody else would have made that play on the field that day. And, and they were abusing Patrick Sertain. That was the other thing. That was the weak link that you needed to go after if there's such a thing on the Alabama defense. Go after Patrick Sertain's kid over and over again because C.D. was eating him alive. And then there's the thing for which a lot of folks would ask this question, and I know why I would do it, but I'm going to put it to you first. If you're Lincoln Riley, and he did this in the Big 12 Championship, why do you defer? If you win the oh coin toss, God. why don't you take the ball? Okay, so if you watched our Facebook Live, Joey posed the same question, but he, he chose exactly what Lincoln Riley chose to do. He said that's what he would do. And literally when they did that during during the game or before the game, the kickoff, I looked over at Joey and I said, you got it right. That's what he did. I still wouldn't do that. And I said, I still, I said the whole time, you take the ball, you do exactly what you do did against Georgia last year. And that was, you set the tone of the game. You do what you do. And that is, you push the issue. You push the envelope. You get them with their backs up against the wall down 7 nothing, and see how they react because Alabama's not really used to that outside of the Georgia game. And guess what? They weren't coming back if they stuck with Tua Tagovailoa yet during that uh, during that game. If they didn't go to Jalen Hurts, they're losing that game, and Oklahoma's playing Georgia instead of Alabama. Or actually, Alabama's probably still in it, but Oklahoma Oklahoma's left out. But still, the point is, is well, actually, you know what? This that's a lot of what is. They were down by a lot. I don't know that Alabama actually would have been. But no, it would have been. It would have been Alabama. Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia. That's the way it would have been if Georgia beat Alabama. I kind of feel if they would have been down 21 and lost by 21 or something like that, there's no way they could do that. But, you know, it is is the SEC, so they probably would. And it would have been a win over the number one team in the country and and the best team in college football. So you were in a flip-flop of Clemson and Alabama. Yeah, Georgia did Oklahoma a service, right, in in losing that football game. Absolutely. No, but I'm saying, like, if you would, 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 if you lose by 21, do they kick Alabama out? out? I don't know. I no. Don't they no. You don't think so? No, they could get blown out. They could have lost by 50 and still made the playoff. So basically they're 2003 Oklahoma is what you're saying. Like, Yeah. When they play because, uh, because there's, I mean, Kersey actually had a great story in The Athletic about this and how that's the best team that anybody ever saw. And it, you know, wasn't very good because they had coaching changes going on and whatnot and they just got rattled. But – no, this Alabama team is is the best one that Nick Saban has ever fielded. That I don't 
I don't know why we're even arguing about that at this point when we see what he has offensively. Like, Will Muschamp had a great quote saying, hey, man, uh, I never thought that Nick's defense would take a back seat to his offense, and yet that's what's happened. Yeah, and do you know what the crazy thing is? That 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 ought to tell everybody just how good this Oklahoma football team is because they actually dominated Alabama from the 10-minute period, 10-minute time of the second period on. Like that that they literally dominated it from that point on. It was Oklahoma all the way from that point. And that that ought to tell you just how good this Oklahoma football team actually is because Saban is losing his mind on the sidelines watching Oklahoma just bite little by little back at him. Nah, I, nah, I don't see that. I see it as him literally getting pissed that they're penalizing themselves and they should be up by another score, but they keep get picking up these penalties that are stupid. Well, they're picking, they're and, picking up the and yet, because they're, they're not used to nah, I disagree. I because they saw it against Georgia. Georgia was giving them everything they wanted. They weren't picking up penalties like this. They were getting beat. And Nick Saban throwing his headset down 18 is him being pissed about the discipline of his football team. Not well, that yeah, Oklahoma's coming I back. Think, I think that's that, that I think that goes to Oklahoma and what they're doing as well. You can't you can't take away from Oklahoma coming back because they the, I, I literally if they if they stopped and there was a there was a third and three and they had I can't remember I think it was Najee Harris actually that came around the 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 end and they had him in the backfield and literally uh Kenneth Mann has him wrapped up two yards behind the line and he slides out of Kenneth Mann's arms turns up the field and barely gets the first down that right there Oklahoma was about to stop them once again because they were only on their Alabama was on their own like 28 yard line at that time I feel like the argument that you're making is that Everybody should think better of this Oklahoma team because they could score points on Alabama when really what you're telling Oklahoma fans, I think the way they're going to read this and hear it is you should be even more pissed that this team went down 28 to zero. Yeah, pretty much is what I'm saying. You should be you should be really pissed off. They should have never been down 28 to nothing. And really, for, for them to be down 28 to nothing, and then that's when Drew Samia loses his mind. That's when Bobby Evans loses his mind. Yeah, that's, that's when that's they that's decide that they're pissed and want to have some pride is that they're embarrassed and they want to get upset about it. No, that is not Oklahoma football. That's not the way that you play the game. If it takes you being down 28 nothing in a college football playoff for you to get mad, I don't know that I want you on the field that day. Because okay, if you're, then you word it better than I do. I'm trying to like long explain it without 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 throwing them throwing names out. So yeah, you go for that. I, I, I was just saying. You, you're wording it much better than I was. No, I no, no I, and I think I think we're agreeing. I, I I think we're agreeing, but I but I also am. I'm me, which is to say, I'm gonna say what I think and what I feel, and if names are involved, names are involved. Um, yeah, absolutely. I just I, I my point is, I guess you made it, but I, just to to clarify, Oklahoma had so many chances to actually pull within four points, and that's what I wanted to see, and I think everybody wanted to see. If you're an Oklahoma fan, is and I don't think Alabama really wanted. They obviously they wouldn't want to see that. But how are they going to react? How is this Alabama? Because they were already kind of crumbling by shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over and over and over. Oklahoma just didn't capitalize on those opportunities, and it felt like the defense just needed one more stop. If they did, they got that one more stop. And there's 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 this other play where where Tua obviously he was short by at least a yard when he slid on the third down. And Oklahoma was going to get the ball back with three minutes left. 
and probably could have put it within four points. So that, that's what I'm saying, because Alabama wasn't going to stop Oklahoma. We, we saw that. They weren't stopping Oklahoma from the second, second quarter on. They were not going to stop OU. And the sad part about it is that it took Oklahoma a whole quarter to adjust to what Alabama was when it comes to their physicality. And that right there is the epitome of playing in the Big 12. They're not used to that. Hey, and well, and I make that—that that is an issue. I make this point. Issue. I make this point that one of the reasons that the SEC is so lauded is the physicality of the defenses yeah. and the offenses. But also, if you're Oklahoma and you carry this conference, quite literally, you put it on your back every year for the past four years at a minimum, and you have to leave this conference and play against SEC teams or Big Ten teams. And show everybody that you are physical and that you can do more than finesse, that you can do more than be smooth and quick, that these are the games for which you have to show it. And iron has not sharpened iron. The Big 12 as a whole is weak when we're talking about physicality and strength and being able to impose your will because they don't have Texas to. Is it. Yeah, and Texas's defense runs a three-man front. And they, they run a dime scheme. Well, so, does, so does Alabama. Alabama's a three-man front. No, they run a 3-4. They run a 3-4. Right. Texas comes out here with five defensive backs. It's like it's literally three down linemen. But, but it's also a 50 front, which means that yeah. you can bring five onto the line yeah, of scrimmage. Five, yeah. And their, their spur, their nickel safety, is a linebacker that actually has safety speed. Like, that's the yeah. big difference between Oklahoma's yeah. defense and, and Alabama's defense and anybody else's defense. The guy who is Buki at Oklahoma has been D. Milner in the past has been Deontay Thompson this year, has been the dude for which he's Minka Fitzpatrick, who won the Jim Thorpe Award. I, I'm saying that that's the difference. When we're talking about talent, yeah. when we're talking about, hey, we're getting better talent-wise, what Lincoln Riley wants to throw that out there defensively, he's talking about getting bigger guys like Jeremiah Cradell, who's a college-ready body today. But you need that guy to be— thinking about that right now, actually. You, you, <laughs> I actually have that in my word. Right. You, I started on it last night and got about— 300 words in at like three in the morning decided I wanted to go to bed. But yeah, exactly what I'm writing about. And you need to the the bigger, longer guys. You need to blow up Ty DeArmond. You need to blow up Jamal Morris. You need to blow up Buki. Now we can talk about height all we want, but the fact of the matter is if they can push you off the ball and they can muscle you out of the play. Like I watched Jerry Judy's son, straight son him, say, call me daddy to Robert Barnes and Parnell Motley to Trey Norwood, I saw him do it on the same plate, you know, and this yeah, I, I, RPO read option slant that I made a video about, they just kept de- destroyed with. There was yeah. no adjustment whatsoever, eating them alive, because not just you didn't diagram for that uh, play, but because you're just not big enough. And is yeah. that recruiting? Is that scheme? It's both. Yeah, it's both. And here's the other issue I have. And one, Barnes should never be out physical because he's he's a big physical specimen i think i think that that goes to the big back to the playing in the big 12 you're not used to it and until you get used to it and adjust to it it's going to take and it should and it, it unfortunately when you play teams like alabama it takes you a quarter to get used to and adjust because oklahoma is a physical team like their their offensive line is known for being just straight maulers and physical we can't Nobody can and they got, they got and they got bullied. They got bullied. They got whooped by Isaiah Bugs, 
and Quinnen Williams over and over again. I love the dudes. They're just the best offensive line in the country, and yet they could do nothing with Quinnen Williams. Isaiah Bugs was in the backfield. You know, I mean, yeah. I've never seen Kyler Murray have to run for his life like he was having to run for his life. We're talking about coming out to start the third quarter, and my man looked like he had run down three fly balls and, and laid out, had run into the wall twice, and climbed it once to no avail. Like he yeah. been playing center field because they're on him. So we can talk about they're known for being maulers, but that was a game for which they were not. No, they weren't. They weren't. They, I mean, they had their moments, but for the most part, yeah, they, they got they got quite a bit. But and that 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 doesn't that that's not we're not and you and I aren't throwing shade. At no, we're 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 calling the we're calling the game right. Yeah, we're, we're talking we're about the game. We, yeah, we're, we're people need to realize we're just saying what we saw right there, and that 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 was the offensive line. Okay, and, and RJ and aren't saying that they didn't play well because guess what, they played okay. They just didn't play like what we're used to seeing them do, and we're used to seeing them take it to the defensive line and not have the defensive line have any moments at all. So anytime you see a Quentin Williams push through or an Isaiah Bugs get through, that's shocking because of who this offensive line is. So you people need to take this into context and realize what we're saying. This this is the best sense of offensive line in the country. It's not even close. But that defensive line of Alabama is so good that they were throwing punches back. And it took Oklahoma a whole quarter to get off the ropes and push back. And that's that's where we're that's that's the issue we're having. You shouldn't have to take that long to get back into this. And it that that orange bowl was two two games encompassed in two games. There was one quarter and then there was the rest of the game. And that one quarter, Alabama was so freaking dominant that it screwed the whole game up. It didn't matter what Oklahoma did, and by God they came back and they fought hard. Well, and, and, and that's kind of – that's also why I'm getting back is, you know, you can look at it glass half full, glass half empty. The, the glass has still got half the amount of water of a full glass. Point yeah, is, right. you know, you can look at it and say, hey, man, they played well after going down 28-0. to zero, And you're going, where was this in the first quarter? It depends on what you're saying. And if you're Lincoln Riley and you're saying, hey, we've been razor-focused and, and laser-focused on the Orange Bowl, I don't really give two, uh, you know – poops in the toilet bowl about who my next coordinator now right right so so like let's 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 just kind of go into that a bit rather than continue to bag on this subject for which i know a lot of people are already upset about the defensive coordinators (laughs) when you're talking about you know the the pete golding thing that we were talking about all week that a lot of folks are talking about look apparently he's not out of it well it's not just that he's not out of it it's that you saw what he's capable of doing because you and I know from our reporting that he's responsible for a lot of the scheme of what Alabama does. So him being able to show you what he can do against the Heisman Trophy winner and the most efficient offense in college football history basically raised the number for his check because, oh, yeah. because he shut you down for all intents and purposes. Now, I know that the yardage was the yardage, and I know that the points were the points, but for the most part, he made Kyler Murray do exactly what he said he was going to make Kyler Murray do, which is eat the ball and do it by himself and turn him into a glorified Randall Cunningham, which is not how you win football games, right? If Kyler Murray's having to do everything, he ain't going to beat – the OU's not going to beat you because you got nothing out of Hollywood. You got, you got a great game out of CD. You didn't get anything out of the run game. You know, it was all of that. But to that point, 
I, we talked about Pete Golding. We know that guy is still in the running. We talked about Alex Grinch. We know that guy is still in the running. I want to throw some names at you. Okay. And I'm going to throw out Brian Brown, uh, Brian Brown, who was at Appalachian State, who took the job at Louisville for folks who haven't mm-hmm. kept up. So y'all can stop throwing that out because that dude is not going to Manny Diaz. He's going to work at Louisville. Yeah. I got a thing about that. So. Oh, yeah, what, what, what Manny Diaz did. did so, uh, you know what? Let me yeah. let me just do it then, right? And go then you it. then go assess me. Yep, go for it. I'm, I'm probably on your side, so I'm just going to sit back and let you go. We talk about kids transferring all the time. Kids do it. That's what they do, especially if they're in a bad situation. So earlier in the week, Doug Gottlieb, of all people, has to say that, yo, I think if you transfer during the mid-years, you should have to pay back your scholarship when in some cases worth $100,000, to which I thought was ludicrous for a number of reasons, not the least of which is Doug Gottlieb was removed from the Notre Dame basketball team. But, but, but... The dude went to Notre Dame thinking that he was going to be a point guard in a different sort of system. It didn't work for him. And what happened to him happens to kids all the time. He's depressed, clinically depressed. He does not feel well. He does not have his family. He does not really feel like the person that was supposed to oversee him is really getting to him and understanding him. And what do you do when you're depressed as a person who is clinically depressed and manically depressed and deals with this on a day-to-day basis? You want to do things that make you feel better. So I make videos. I make a ton of them. I talk about football because it makes me feel better. You know, I'm one of the few people in life that gets to do what I love for a living, and I cherish it every day. But Doug Gottlieb, he channeled that in a different way. He picked up a credit card that wasn't his to buy some shoes because he thought the shoes would make him feel better, knowing he had a bunch in his closet already. And he got caught, and he paid the price for that. So... Knowing that you can feel that way and knowing that many kids all across the country playing football feel that way, why would we not want them to transfer? Why would we want them to stick out someplace where they're going to be clinically depressed and not do their best for the team because they don't feel good, so they leave? And yet Manny Diaz takes the job at Temple on December 13th, which is six days before early signing day. And then 17 days later, his crystal ball goes from 100% Temple to flip commit to Miami where he takes a job for which Mark Rick signed a class on December 19th and then retires and then left him with Manny Diaz who leaves Temple in the lurch. And yeah, somebody's going to pay his $4 million buyout because he changed his mind. And yet we want to crucify kids who do the same thing and yet the kids make no money. The kids... Don't get much of anything out of it except a lottery ticket that might get them into the NFL. And all while coaches move about with freedom. Dana Holgerson is another dude who's interviewing for a job at Houston after he signed an early signing class on December 19th and said on the podium at Big 12 Media Day, "Don't I don't want a kid to transfer to me because he's not playing. Oh, really? And yet you're going to take this job and leave your kids in the lurch? Nah, man, call it both ways. Do what you want. Right, but don't you dare crucify these kids for transferring or redshirting and saying, you know what, this isn't a good situation for me. I'm gonna go where I can play. I'm gonna go where my lottery ticket might mean a little bit, like Kelly Bryant. Assess, Brandon. No, I'm with you 100%. I don't. I I'm I'm okay with the kids transferring. I'm okay with them doing what they need to do to better their lives and better their situations. Because, guess what? It's their life. It's their situation. Um, it's not. 
something that I feel needs to be policed the way it is sometimes. Uh, now I get sitting out a year. I get doing all that. I understand all that. There, there's got to be rules and regulations to it. But No, do they? Dude, like, no, seriously, I, I, I really don't think that that rule is doing what people think it should be doing anymore because coaches don't sit out a year. Right, but at the same time, then it'll turn into just straight-up free agency. Which is – which At the amateur level. Well, which is kind of what college football coaching is. Right, but um, I don't know, man. That that – See that that's such a such a. I know you're 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 you you are the, you are the beat writer, right? I I get right. that, right? And you you go about it a little differently than I do, but yeah, I I guess what I I'm getting. I can't really get on. I can't really get on board about like okay, so I'm down with the waiver. So I think I okay, think, I think hardship waiver. Yeah, yeah, I think all of that needs to be done. Hardship waivers are for things like death in a family, um, and unforeseen circumstances that the NCAA is sympathetic to for those that don't know. Yeah, and there's other there's other waivers as well that right. they, they could throw out. But I'm I'm down for all that. And if the NCA is willing to listen to all those and make that to where you have to go through paperwork to get that and they okay it, by all means, man, be eligible the next year. I just don't want it to see to turn into well, I'm not happy here, so I'm leaving. And then the kids bouncing around to three or four different schools before he graduates. There has to be some rules. There has to be some regulations to it. Um, that that's just how I feel. I don't know why I feel that way. I think it's because that's the way it's been. I do like the change that is happening, where they're being more lenient towards the transfers. I love the portal idea because it's an actual free agent waiver type deal. But at the same time, there's still rules and regulations to it, and I I like that aspect of it. But but again, like I'm saying, I want the kids to be eligible. I want them to fill out a waiver, and if it's legitimate that they're transferring. I don't want them to transfer and them transferring because they're mad about their playing time. Counterpoint. Counterpoint? Yeah, go, go for it. Go for it. So, number one, we kind of have that in place because how many kids are really going to transfer during the mid-year? It's not like you can get traded. But I'm also saying if a kid transfer, let's call it – let's make it stupid. Let's say he transfers seven times to seven different schools. He knows what he's doing. He knows that folks are really going to label him – as the kind of kid that they might not be able to necessarily trust, and yet, and still, if he can play football, he's going to get chances. We know this because football, as much as I hate it, has proven that it will give opportunities to folks with low character because they can play. Take the NFL, for instance, right? <laughs> so I, don't, I, don't, I, I get where you're coming from about you like the rules and you like there being boundaries set, but people aren't stupid, neither are coaches. They're not going to extend a, a, an offer or a scholarship to a transfer kid that they don't trust or don't want to go to bat for. So it's not as if you're not doing this without risk. And we're not talking about the, the kids that are doing it without risk. We're talking about kids that know that they are a commodity, that know that they're going to get opportunities. And if they don't, they don't. You know, I'm not saying that everybody deserves an opportunity to play scholarship football. I'm saying that if you want to transfer – the NCAA and you and I and coaches, as far as the rules, should not be getting in your way. What it should come down to is, hey, do you at, let's, uh, let's call it BFE State, want me? And they say, yeah. Should we tell everybody what those the acronym for that is? Pro 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 probably not, because this is a family <laughs> podcast. Not like others. BFE State, 
right, wants you. And you say, you know what, I would like that. And, you, you know, the way that universities work, I have to finish out my semester anyway. So I'll go there when I finish out my semester here. You can't pull my scholarship mid-semester anyway. And you want to be able to give it to somebody that wants to play here anyway. Why is the NCAA even acting as a third party here? I've asked that for years. But this is also me, you know, having been around it for so long, like you, and also having my own thoughts and feelings about what other people have to say about what I do. And, and particularly when this gets a bit political, do I want Big Brother telling me what I'm going to do? No. I know who I am. You know who I am. Why does the government need to be involved? And that's what the NCAA is doing. It is the governing body of college athletics, and it works for itself. Yeah, they work for their own pockets. Absolutely. And I agree with that 100%. That I, I, I'm always... It's like the NCAA with me is either they're going to hit it out of the ballpark or they're going to swing and strike out almost every time they make a decision. And I'm usually on the side of them striking out and making awful decisions. Um, but sometimes I do agree with them and how they handle some situations. Uh, I love it when they uh, allow a kid to do the things that actually need to be done to uh, make his life better as far as maybe transferring, maybe allowing them to take something as far as like, like allowing them to stay amateur and, and like with Kyler Murray, like allowing back in the day that would have never happened. Like, okay, you sign with an agent, you can no longer play college football. That, that couldn't happen back then. It's so. still, no, it's, it's still, it's, it's still a thing. Because if you, the rule is you can be professional in the sport in which you are not. Right, but I mean they on scholarship for it. Back then. Back yeah, then that was agent. The word agent. The second you got an agent, you were no longer an amateur according to the rules back in the nineties. Well, I mean it or used to be up until probably about five or six years ago. You could take like that it. all the way to the IOC though, because the Olympic Committee had said yeah. for years that uh, this one ours had said you have to be an amateur to complete in the Olympics, and that was stupid. For a number of reasons, right? Yeah, well, because every other country had professional people. Right. For them and who was lining America. their pockets? The AAU. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, uh, we could stay on this for forever, honestly. But I just I want to move it along. Move it yeah, back to, to, move, on from that. to <laughs> move it to. This, this is going to go down a slippery slope. But, sure. but stay in the transfer market. Have you heard any rumors or any talk? Because I'm listening in, and there's nothing really that I can put down on paper that I'm like, yeah, that's definitely happening. As for transfers in the defensive category, right? Dudes like, um, oh, who was the dude that committed last year from Notre Dame and ended up going to Georgia, flipping his commitment? Jay something, defensive end. It's going to plague me. And I'm sure somebody's listening to podcasts is like yelling in it right now. It was so-and-so. But Are you talking about the transfer that's at Georgia now? Yeah. He was coming here from Notre Dame to play end. Yeah, I don't think he'll. Oh, oh so, so you're. No, like, like that guy. Anybody out there? Out right, there, like, right, right, right. There's numerous reasons why. I'm not going to get into that. <clears throat> um, but, uh, so, no, I haven't heard any defensive guys just yet. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that Oklahoma's not looking into that aspect. Um, you would think they would, right? I, I just don't like. So with the NCAA closing the portal off to everybody except for coaches and players, it makes it really hard for us to know exactly who's in it and who's not. So um, 
And I'm sure there's so many guys in there that haven't been leaked out yet. You know what I mean? That that their names are on there that we, we just haven't seen. So it, it's an issue that I, I actually contacted the NCAA and asked them, I was like, why can we not look into this? And they're trying to figure out a way to make that happen where the media is allowed to look in it uh, some way, somehow, legally. But I don't know that that'll, that'll ever happen. Um, but it's really hard for us to know all that. But I do know the offensive side of the ball, Oklahoma has some guys out there that I, I've heard, you know. Okay. Uh, well, we know about the – we know – I think we know about the quarterbacks that, yeah. that when we've been talking about it off and on. Uh, at wide receiver, at running back, at tight end – uh, we've talked a bit about a guy that Shane Beamer recruited to Georgia, playing over there now, Luke Ford, and yeah, perhaps. Exactly what I was about to go with. Yeah. Oh, go for it. No, I mean that's that. Luke Ford is a guy to watch. I mean, he's a big tight end. He's gonna he's kind of gonna remind everybody of a, uh, uh, I guess Carson Meyer, except for more probably more athletic. And Carson Meyer became a big time player for Oklahoma this year. Like, I mean, he made some big plays for Oklahoma and he looked good in the orange bowl. He's one of the guys that actually played well in the orange bowl. Um, so it's, I probably would like to see, you know, Oklahoma go after a guy like that just because it helps diversify the offense. Um, I, I like watching offenses that, can do everything. Alabama's one of them. Oklahoma's one of them because they have guys that are big. Like Mark Andrews was so awesome. And that's why everybody needs to just kind of chill on the Calcutta Mark Andrews kind of comparison because there is not one. Calcutta is never going to be 265 pounds or run a 4640. Like that's not happening. And he, he I, don't, I don't know that he never will, but right now he's, he's not going to get there because his frame isn't allowing his, his DNA is not allowing him to is to do that kind of stuff. So now yeah. I look at I look at I look at Grant Calcaterra and his comps are, are to me they just they're gonna they're gonna hurt people's feelings when I think about his comps. It's like nah that's not who that guy is. It's not who that is. Because uh that's that's not who I got in mind when I think of Grant Calcaterra. But to no, but to, Luke to stick Ford is a guy you could say No I so guy. Luke Ford, yeah. I wouldn't even go in the Mark Andrews card because he's six foot six two fifty already coming in out of high school. I would say he's actually closer to a Joe John, because yeah, that, that, that's fair. He's he's not he's not very fast. I get the Carson Meyer comparison. I think it's because he's you know he's kind of slow, but yeah. and he's and he's well. I mean he's much larger than Carson Meyer, but his hands. That's why he plays tight end. Is he's got hands like Isaac Nada is much more like Grant Calcaterra than anybody else playing today. I mean he's a he's a tall slot receiver. Right, yeah. that's that's basically what he is. I mean, I look at Grant Calcaterra and I see, okay, so this is what Julian Edelman is going to evolve into. That, I mean, right. that that position because Julian Edelman is still a small dude uh, compared to the right. rest of the NFL. But I could just as easily see Grant Calcaterra lining up and running those really super short drag routes, slant routes, settle down cornerback comeback routes, yeah, and being very good. Absolutely. Yeah, but but being playing in that position as opposed to yeah. the traditional tight end position. Yeah, he's gonna. That's that's how he's gonna fit into the NFL is playing that position because he's he's not gonna be the fastest guy, but he is gonna be one of the bigger. He's gonna weigh two forty, two forty five, be a six foot three, six foot four guy going across the middle, um, and he's but he's he's more fluid, you know. Right, right, 
and his hands are better than they have any right to be. Like, that's the thing that I think is still undersold about that kid is we keep talking about how big he is and how fast we want him to be. And yet, if you put it in the vicinity, Grant's going to come down with it. Like, that's the thing that was just that I didn't expect to see that this year out of him. Like, there was a play that he made in the Orange Bowl. That actually got the offense started. He lunged out and grabbed something with two hands. He had no business coming down with. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah Aaron, he's, he's he's great. He's great, but he's not Mark Andrews. No, people need to stop doing that now. I I, I will say that I feel Oklahoma has that guy on campus. And let's see if you guess who I think that is. At at that tight end position. Yeah, I think I think there's a guy on campus that could turn out to be that guy. Uh, another Mark Andrews type. I mean, I mean, if it's not Braden Willis, I don't know where you're going. Yeah, that's exactly. Okay, right. I was like to say yeah. that's that's, yeah. that's the only guy that that fits <laughs> in, anywhere around that description. Yeah, no. So he's already about two thirty, two thirty five, and he's six four. Like, and he's, he's super little, smart, super I mean, smart, super athletic, super fast. He's everything you want at that position. Him and they're going to just like I think next year if they get the right quarterback, they're going to be able to play Braden Willis. And Calcaterra, just like they did Andrews and Calcaterra, and just mess with people, because it, that is going to jack with people with how good and athletic both those guys are. So people, they are they're mismatches, man. So people continue mismatches. to bring up Braden as as a flowers type of Swiss Army knife, though, and that that seems like that seems like that's more of a deal because nobody really trusts Jeremiah Hall right now. No, I think they do though. They okay, Jeremiah Hall at, at versus Alabama and. They've talked about him. I, I actually had a source tell me that they feel that Jeremiah Hall in the end is going to be more athletic and possibly better than Flowers by the time he's done. Now, I said, bro, you're talking about Dimitri Flowers, right? Like being better. He said, bro, he said when this kid picks everything up, he's going to be so good because he's very smart. He's very athletic. It's just I think the physicality of the game was just a little bit much for him up until this year, and you saw as the year progressed, he started making big plays for Oklahoma, and I think that's going to continue to be the trend. They feel like they can start, they're they're starting to trust him, and he's going to be a guy next year that is going to be the Dimitri Flowers type guy, but they they had a guy that they felt that with, with Carson Meyer that they felt was really good and good enough that he could play that position for the most part for Oklahoma this year, and with with uh. Uh, I just went blank now. Who we're just talking about? Well, I mean, uh, just just to pick that up, I think what everybody's been trying to get to, and because Dimitri Flowers was so good at this, people forget Trey Millard is actually the the comp that you were thinking about for Jeremiah Hall, or I'm thinking about yeah, for yeah, Jeremiah yeah, Hall. Yeah, yeah, Jeremiah Hall is going to be a lot like. No, no, no. I mean, Dimitri. They told me Dimitri Flowers would be. He, Jeremiah Hall is going to be more athletic than uh, Dimitri Flowers, and I just kind of scoffed that off. But this guy knows what he's talking about. So I can't really argue with the person that told me this, but um, it, it's just I feel like if you get anywhere in between a Trey Millard and a Demetri Flowers with Jeremiah Hall, you're going to have an offensive. Uh, you're going to have a guy that you can target and and do so many things with. He's going to be a mismatch, just like Braden Willis, just like Calcaterra, but he's going to be doing it in a different way, coming out of the backfield. Uh, slipping just like Demetri Flowers would do, uh, would would act like he's gonna pass block out of the backfield and just kind of slip up the seam and just kind of dump it off. Like they they can do so many things at that position, the H back spot that I think that that will be a weapon along with with Ford 
not four, yeah, Ford if he comes in, and along with uh, Willis and Calcaterra. So there's a lot that can be done in this offense. Well, I mean, you know, Riley, we we know all we know all that can be done with the offense, Uh, and we we're frankly we're spoiled, but we're spoiled to the point where we're just like, you know what, enough with the offense. Tell me about the defense, And, and but just to try to put this one to bed before we got to wrap up. Is Hollywood Brown returning? Because I don't think so. And everything I've heard says no, he'd be gone. But the, the reason I think folks are bringing this up is um, people are following the, the players on Instagram and Twitter, and they're mm-hmm. reading into what guys say, and I'm going, no. You know, I mean, I get why you want to believe this. It's kind of like with folks like going, you know, Kyler could come back. He still has an unfinished business with the national championship. What? No. <laughs> get your you, – you better secure okay, so the bag, might, son. Not, not might, but he might want to. You know, he, Kyler probably does want to come back because he would love to win a national title. But, I mean, these kids are smart. They're not dumb. They're not going to throw away millions of dollars and, and, and a chance to get injured to – win a national title yeah that'd be great but in the long term for their future and their lives that's not a smart move it's not a smart money move same goes for hollywood now he he may want to come back and and to be honest with you i think that there's there is some talk because there is some nfl scouts questioning his durability and being able to hold up at the next level yeah but he'll gonna he's gonna get those questions regardless because of his frame yeah he is yep absolutely so so why not go ahead and test the waters as it is and see where you land because I think the second he goes out there and runs a four three seven, he's gonna shoot up the draft board. So I mean, that that's all there is to it because they're gonna figure out some way to get him. He's not gonna be a guy that that is going to be in, you know, he's gonna be a locket. He's gonna be a guy that they use for big play purposes for punt and kick returns, and that's about it. I mean that that's gonna be Hollywood in a nutshell. Now if you if you follow. Lockett at all at Seahawks. I mean, the guy is having a great career. He's scoring touchdowns. So it's not like he's just going to be out there for a few plays. No, they're going to use him probably 20, 30 plays a game and get him out there and try to – he'll be a decoy some, but then other plays he's going to make big plays because you have to account for somebody with his speed, with his athletic ability, and his game-changing ability that he has to be accounted for. One way or the other on the field, even in the NFL, if you get a smart offensive coordinator that is a, that is able to use that to to make their offense better, it's going to work out with Hollywood. But he's got to he's got to he's a guy that has to go in the right position. I think I think Cleveland, with as innovative as Freddie Kitchens is, as long as he still stays there, would be a great spot for Hollywood. Innovative, so Cle- innovative. They're running Oklahoma's plays. They are. They are. I'm like, yo, I saw that on Saturday. No, I get it, but I'm just, you know, it's like, hey, this is innovative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. I'm just. But it's a copycat league anyway, so you can't really. Well, it's a copycat sport. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole thing is just copycat. Everybody's copying what Riley does anyway. So is Alabama. I mean, their their whole freaking system is predicated off what Oklahoma has done the past couple years. I mean, they weren't running. Loxley wasn't running that system until this year. Well, I mean, I I, Come on. I I think a lot of it also is the way that offense is being called because you can do you can do two things you can make your quarterback think or you can make your quarterback not think, and I've always been on the side of making the players do as little thinking as possible because you recruited them for their abilities, right? And yeah. if they're smart, 
that makes your job a whole lot easier. But I don't know about you, but I had to learn a playbook, and yeah. it it ain't it ain't the easiest thing to do in the world, especially when you got a lot of moving point uh, pieces. So when you can do things like say, you know what, we're just gonna run this RPO quick slant, and if you see this guy come down, throw the ball. If you do this guy stays put, run the ball like that. Just make it simple, as opposed to having to call John Gruden's West Coast offense. Right, which is just ridiculous, or what the Packers do with Aaron Rodgers. They're good at it, and they can do it. But if you can make the offense simpler, you're going to do it. And I think that's what you've been seeing more of than anything else, and, and you've just been dressing it up, which is one of the reasons why I've always loved Gary Patterson's uh, defense is because his players don't have to yeah. think. He does all the thinking because he's, he's basically accounted for all these different things and all these different looks by giving them one call. But I want to yep. get into that before we before we have to go. I'm going to throw some defensive coordinator candidates at you. You're going to okay. tell me yes or no. Okay. Morgan Scally, Utah. Love him. Think he would fit perfectly. He's so his the way he like. Okay, so real quick on him, this is just. So I was so irritated, just with. Okay, mind you, yes, I'm a beat writer. Yes, I'm not. I try to not get all, you know, up in arms about how players play and all this and like it, but this one bothered me. So it and it don't know if it's scheme. I don't know what it is, but so they abused Oklahoma, Alabama did with the quick slant all freaking game. I said and they would. Oklahoma. Oklahoma I gets said up they would. Yeah, and Oklahoma gets up there and pretends like they're gonna press. But they don't lay a hand, a yeah. single hand, yeah. on an Alabama yeah, I know. receiver. It's a technique so, that they teach. Why, why not? Why not? Yeah, that belt. I don't like that belt technique at all. Um, why not lay at least a hand on them? Why not shade to the inside to at least make them work? Because Oklahoma had blitzes called on several occasions that were perfect. Do you think blitzes. that Scally's going to call more blitzes? No, but I'm, I think he's going to make his. I, I've watched them. His cornerbacks play, and they lay hands all over everybody. Mm. They are physical. That is how he tells them to play. You, you're going to. I don't. He doesn't care about PIs, obviously, because he's all, he's all about just being as physically as you possibly can with the receiver, not letting them off the ball. You're going to bully them all game long, and that's how Utah plays. I love it. Okay. I think I think because and this is where I go with it. Like so, there was a there was a two blitzes that I can recall vividly. One with Bolton and one with Patrick Fields, where they ran the RPO and had Motley touched, just touched the receiver. Taglavoa is getting sacked. Like he wasn't going to be able to get the ball off. They were in his face. All you had to do was just that split. All you had to do was like a millisecond, just nudge him, knock him off to where he's going to have trouble throwing. At the very least, he was going to have to make a tough throw off his back foot. That was probably going to be very inaccurate and probably incomplete, or at least intercepted one way or the other. So, I don't understand why you don't bump at all. If you're going to line up, do it. Okay, that, that's what he does. What about that's Tim DeRuiter at Cal? Love him. Okay. I think he's too old though. Okay, Bert Watts at Fresno State then. Love him. I I think that he is another guy that is physical. Um, he's I don't know how old he is though. No, nah, he's 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 a young cat. He's a young yeah, cat. I think he's like in the mid thirties, right? Another young cat, uh, our age, Marcus Freeman, Cincinnati. 
uh, his name's popped up a couple of times, and I, I I think he's a he'd be a good candidate. I don't know how he's, he, I don't. He's my favorite of the guys that we mentioned outside of uh, Golding and Grinch. Right. Yeah. See, I've heard you say that name. That's kind of where I went researching on him. He's a. I like I like him. What what it, what is it that you like about him the best though? Uh, what makes you think Freeman is the guy in your opinion? Like, well, not the guy, but like your if you had to pick outside of Golding and Grinch, this is why you would pick Freeman. Because his play background is linebacker at Ohio State. He played, you know, a little bit in the league for the Chicago Bears. Went right. to Purdue, did some stuff, got to Cincinnati, worked for Luke Fickle, and learned how to call a defense. And when you could turn the Cincinnati Bearcats into the one one of the best scoring defenses in the country, with a yeah. team that can't score, like they have the opposite problem of Oklahoma, right, where the defense has to keep them in ball games, and they were undefeated for a very long stretch of this season. I also like how young he is in that my man is going to – like he just turned 32. So he would be younger than Riley. And now you can surround both of those guys with experience in Ruffett McNeil and Shane Beamer. And that was the other guy that I was going to bring up before I get to the last one was Shane Beamer. Like I know a lot of folks are like Bob Diaco. Why not Shane Beamer? Yeah. He's got everybody's trust. He's shown we can do in a small dose. We know he can recruit. We know his background, and this dude has worked for more defensive-minded head coaches than I can shake a stick at. He's been to the SEC. He's been to the ACC. You know, he has experience that you want, and he has the aspirations to be a head coach as well, and he's in your program. He's there right now. You know, I, I just I think that that is the one that nobody wants to bring up that I think makes the most sense to me. So, so I— uh... And the last guy I was going to bring up was Gary Patterson's defense coordinator, Chad Glasgow. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do I, anybody out of Gary Patterson's. Uh, my deal with that is anybody that gets hired to be a DC after they leave Gary Patterson, they're awful because he's the one that does everything in, uh, with that defense. And basically, those guys are getting uh, jobs off of Gary Patterson's work, in my opinion. Okay, so so what about the Shane Beamer hire? I I. You know, Okay, so I'm I'm trying to. By the way, people, these are all hypotheticals. Before you start running off and telling yeah, I'm everybody, to remember how much he actually has on the defensive side of the ball coaching is what I'm trying to gather. I mean, okay, so it's it's not even he's coached he's coached the secondary, right? Yeah, so I know, yeah, but and he's got he's been underneath Bud Foster, he's been underneath uh, tons of guys that I think that are top notch defensive minds, um, Bud Foster. Kirby Smart. Yeah. Um, I mean, those two right there, that's about all. Didn't he, and didn't he coach for Sly Croom too? Yeah, he did. I mean, I, I mean, and, and that's what this guy has done. He's bounced around looking to pick up something new from everybody that he's worked under. That's the reason why he came on to Oklahoma is he felt there was something he could learn from Lincoln Riley about offense. Right. But he also has made a concerted effort to stay away from a coordinator position. Because, you know, I mean, you're, you're a GA at Tennessee. You're a GA at De Georgia Tech. You coach corners at Mississippi State. You coach corners at South Carolina. You coach linebackers at South Carolina. You coach the running backs okay, at Virginia Tech and tight ends and, and special teams at Georgia before you get to Oklahoma. I just – I think that your guy, if, especially – because I, I, I'm, I'm, I understand Bob Diaco can scheme. I know he can scheme. He schemed against Oklahoma. He got yeah. to a national championship game. I also know that he had a Heisman candidate at middle linebacker. 
And I get that he's a great guy. A lot of folks like him. But two things. I haven't heard word one about that guy on the recruiting trail since Oklahoma, right? Which is something that you have to be able to do here. And two, do you trust him in front of a microphone? Uh, Diaco, man, he's fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, right, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. He's fun for us, and I would love it. Like, I, you and I, obviously. But if you're a fan, there's sometimes where you hear him speak, and you're like, man, come on. You know, may, yeah. maybe word that differently. Or perhaps protect him. You know, like like Mike Halk done a great job uh, of what I think of protecting Oklahoma star players in the past, especially when you talk about Mixon and, and Murray and Baker. And you, you know what? We're just not going to do that today, right? Or I'm going to stand next to him or whatever it is that you got to do. If that's your right. guy, uh, then you'll make it work. I, I'm just saying that, man, the guy with all the good energy is Shane Beamer on that staff. He's the guy. Like, if you're looking at the staff right now and you take into account what Lincoln Riley has said about I'm going to make staff changes after I hire a coordinator, I would only bank on two dudes returning like that I would put bet money on. One would be rough and the other would be Shane. Like that that that's just it. And of the two, nobody wants to see Ruffin call the defense in 2019. is a guy that everybody says is going to stick around. Well, okay, so I'm talking about but yeah. I don't, I don't okay. So if it's Golding, I don't buy that. Well, I I know Well, I'm I'm I mean, I'm just I giving a, a I can just say I, I have a good feeling about who Golding would hire as a defense. Say that. Well, I'm just talking about as 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 fans the reaction to what you're gonna get, right? That's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about how this works in house. That's that's where you're going with it. How this would work in house. I'm saying if you if you are following the discussion among your millions of fans, literally millions of OU fans, the guy that everybody would give a high approval rating to is Shane Beamer. That's what I'm saying, right? I get that they're that they're coaches that aren't getting their due. Ruffin being one of them because he took on a job that probably wasn't going to win at because nobody's been able to win at it here recently. But he's also been very good for very for a long time, and Lincoln trusts him, and Lincoln reinforces that I trust him, and this is a guy who got me here. So, you know, everybody's like, okay, cool, we get that. But outside of that, everybody can pick a fight with every other position coach on that de- on that defense. They shouldn't. like Guys like, like Tim Kish, I don't have a problem with him, and I thought his linebackers played well. I mean, Kenneth Murray Jr. had 155 tackles, and he had the gumption to play Curtis Bolton as the starter when everybody thought it was going to be Caleb Kelly. I mean, uh, and you could talk about Kerry Cooks, and you could talk about Thibodeau, and you could talk about Ruff, but, man, like I just looked at that staff, and I was like, well, everybody's just going to say, hey, Shane, stay, <laughs> as opposed to anything else. Yeah. No, I think I think Beamer stays 100% on the staff. I think that Ruffin stays. Um, just some when I say Ruffin stays, I don't know that he stays on staff on staff. Maybe as like an analyst position, possibly. Um, I don't because I don't know if the new DC is going to be willing to, you know. Well, he that. he might be your he might replace Beamer as your tenth assistant, and you might make Boom Beamer secondary coach or whatever is what I'm saying. You have flexibility. That's what, that's what you're saying. Yeah, you you have flexibility. flexibility. Yep. With that 10th assistant yep. job, you have flexibility. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, that, that Shane Beamer as a secondary coach I think is a very interesting uh, idea just because it would allow the players to have somebody that they're, uh, you know, they're, they know and that they're, they're okay with and they're used to being around. Um, and he seems to get the best out of people when he – when he does it, the only problem is, is 
that's going to put more of a load back on uh, Bullwear as far as the running backs and the H-backs or who's going to take on that load. Are they going to move Gundy coaching the H-backs again and tight end? Like, it's just a whole – like, they would have to reconfigure the staff on the offensive side again, and I don't know that they want to do that completely. Which is why Lincoln's like, I'm going to get my defensive coordinator hired before we do anything because that will tell you a lot, yeah, right? Because that, that, that sense. Right. That, that guy might yeah. actually want to coach another position. Right, he might actually want to be the linebackers coach or secondary coach or line coach or whatever it is. In addition to like like other defensive coordinators do all the time, yep. so that makes yep. a lot of sense. Um, yep. Brent, uh, so, so before, because I'm assuming there's going to be we'll we'll do like a probably a podcast like a like a uh, breaking news podcast. I'm sure when they do the DC, I just want to get your guess who the DC is. We're people before you do this total disclaimer. We're going to guess who it is. We're, we're going to educate guests. RJ and I are going to say who we feel it is and why. Tell me why you think or who it is and why you think this person that you're saying is going to be the next defensive coordinator of Oklahoma. Pete Golding. Yeah. Pete Golding. I, I, everything that I've heard is that that's the dude that that Lincoln wants, right? Whether Whatever he's saying or not saying. Everything that I, I have heard, everything that we've been that we've reported around – is that this is the guy that is at the top of the list, and Lincoln Riley has built up a lot of equity, a lot of really good equity for which he can press if he wants to the issue about going to get this guy after the national championship, and whatever the number is is the number. And I think that's what you're going to run into is, are you, do you want to pay this guy like one of the top defensive coordinators in the country before he's done anything? Well, yeah, because, you. I, I mean, I made this joke where I showed the screenshot of, what Alabama had done and OU had zeros next to all of these statistics and going, yeah. do you want this to happen? Again? Do you want to get this far again and have this happen? Because also you're probably not going to be able to put this together the way you've been able to put it together over the last three, four years, because you're, it's not that Austin Kendall's bad. It's not that Jalen Hurts is that good. It's that to ask somebody to do what Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray have done for the last two years is asinine. You have to get balance. And if balance costs, $1.7 million, then go buy balance. And I think yeah. that's the reason for which I think, you know, it's Golding until it's not. Okay, so I'm with you okay. Golding. and But I'm not as strong as you are with Gold, on Golding because just for the fear, pure fact that I believe it's going to be hard to pull him away from Saban, Saban promising that – Hey, look. No, that's a very good gonna, point. It's a very good point. You're gonna be the, you're gonna be the DC, the guy, and you're gonna be making such and such money at Alabama here in the next year or two once Tosh Tapoy takes his next step as a head coach. Right. But the problem is, is that Golding's been calling the play since the Louisville game this year. He's not getting credit for it. There is an issue behind the scenes about all that. And I, I'm pretty positive Saban has ironed all those issues out, but. Has it? I think Golding still wants to be on his own. He wants to be the guy, and I don't know that he wants to kind of wait, and because you don't know if Tosh Tapoy is going to get it. Because it's starting to come out that Golding is the guy that everybody should be going after, and not Tosh Tapoy. So, and I think that Saban is so close with Lapoy that I don't think he's going to, you know, shove him out of the way. That that's just not Saban's mo. I just think that it is Golding, but the the issue is going to be. The house, obviously, that we've figured out that he must be buying. But I think that this all could be just kind of a ruse to kind of throw people off a little bit. 
We'll know in eight or nine days, I think, where Oklahoma's at. If it hasn't been named by the national title date, you know some it's got to be Golding, right? Am I am I? I, I would I would I would think so, and I think we're we're gonna wait and see, and we're gonna end it there. This is Young and Drum. That's Brandon Drum. I am R.J. Young. We're trying to do this here thing yes. once a week, and uh, hopefully we'll have a defensive coordinator podcast to drop whenever beforehand. But if not, we will see you guys next week. Uh, yeah, we appreciate the Army All American game. Oh yeah, that's right. So we are going to do that at the end of the week, uh, and we're going to probably catch up. Maybe tr- we yep. might try to do daily. I'm not going to make that promise, but we'll definitely recap it. See what Brandon yep. sees. See what I see. See what we hear. And we'll be heading on Wednesday for sure. Okay, so cool. I'll, I'll, yeah. Well, no, actually, what is today? Monday. Yeah, today is Monday. Recording on a Monday. Yeah, I may head down tomorrow actually. So tomorrow evening, I may head down. So I'll be there from Wednesday to Saturday. Hopefully, I got to get some things figured out today after that since we just got back. But we will be there. So well, and that we'll be there well, live. that's more reason if you don't subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, and it's on Google Play right now. Go do that. Rate and review. Leave five stars. This is a five star podcast, like the recruits that we are. <laughs> All right, Peace. brother.